Hey, welcome to another episode of the Get More Students podcast. I'm your co-host, Alex Asher, and I'm joined by Herbert Goetzer. Today, we're focused on how to market to B2B. This is really focusing on the corporate language market. And Herbert and I are talking about this topic because we've seen organizations struggle with this very problem, how to successfully market and sell to B2B, because it really is so different to B2C. And one of the reasons we're exposed to this is that I run LearnCube and we specialize in helping online language schools and tutoring businesses to grow their business with our virtual classroom and online school solutions. And one of the reasons that LearnCube, you know, we're so exposed to this is because we work a lot with these corporate language companies, um, including Kern Training and Babbel B2B. So we really have a lot of exposure to what works and what doesn't. And interesting, Herbert, you've also got a lot of exposure to this and see it from both sides. And interesting, Herbert, you've also got a lot of exposure to this and see it from both sides. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, through my advertising agency, we help a lot of language schools and education businesses get more leads and uh, enroll more students in their courses with paid ads. And we're always trying to find solutions for uh, schools that target B2B. So selling language courses to companies. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I love this, this segment. So I'm excited to talk about it today. That's how I feel about it too. But let's um, start off with the, the first idea, right? Let's make sure that we've got the right people listening um, in the room mm-hmm. here. So let's differentiate between B2C and B2B. So t- tell me your kind of quick definition, Herbert. Right. I mean, B2, B2C is basically selling directly to the student who is going to take the language course or um, take tutoring uh, lessons. And B2B is selling those uh, services uh, to a company. Um, usually it is the HR department or maybe the learning and development department that organizes uh, these trainings for their employees. That's it. And um, so I always differentiate as well, just a simple idea that usually the student or the parent's paying for B2C mm-hmm. and otherwise it's usually the company is paying and so the buyer is incredibly different and they require different things in so many different areas and that's what we're really going to unpick today Um, but one thing just to provide some context to this um, and this will change depending on when you hear this but certainly b2b was a market that everyone had picked to be devastated by COVID-19 a lot of people look back at the 2008 crisis hey you know budget's going to be white business is going to be um, absolutely battling and uh, many of the what was kind of surprising is actually at least at this point in time we're not seeing that sort of mass devastation to budgets and actually a lot of those pause budgets are now <laughs> being reactivated uh, but what's right. most important that one of the biggest changes to this market is the fact well one thing that hasn't changed is people haven't gone back to the office by and large almost across mm. most countries and even the ones that are going back most of them are only going back a couple of days. That has huge repercussions to corporate language training uh, because you know, the idea of going into an office, for, for one, may be unwelcome, and two, uh, may be massively disrupted by when different employees are actually in 
right? If they're if they're yeah. not when you're not too sure if the student's going to be in the office or not, it's very hard to arrange an appointment with particularly groups to be there. And that's where online language training can make a big difference. And it's an area that Herbert and I really ho- hopefully have some valuable information for you on. But but one of the things that I think is is clear is that this is an opportunity for now, for the future. It's an opportunity for small business. It's a, it's an opportunity for large businesses. But it does depend on how you want to target it. And again, we're going to give you some some great tips, hopefully, and some some guidance on how to look at that. So let's look at this first kind of part of the process. We're going to focus particularly in this section on how does how does B2B impact how you market and, mm. and how you attract people to your your service or your company. And um, that buyer is typically an HR person, but maybe it's it's not the the entire buyer. But that person, you know, there's in in, in the end, there's going to be a decision maker. And if it's a smaller business, sure, it might be the CEO or somebody in the executive t- table, anyone that has the ability to have a budget that they can get signed off. But for a larger business, and the larger you go, the more likely it's going to be have to ticked off by HR as part of their almost compliance as part of their business or, or their culture of their business to ensure that uh, employees are progressing in the, in their skills that they need for their roles. Yeah. So the, the first big question is, how do we find these buyers and where do they hang out? And Herbert, this is an area that you might be able to start you know, giving us a bit of light on. Sure. I mean, yeah, those you, you want to know where these HR managers and tra- training and de- development managers are hanging out <laughs> mostly online now, uh, but also in person, uh, so you can connect with them. And you know, a really great platform is, of course, LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn really was, was made for recruiting in mind, for job finding. Uh, and of course, these HR managers are uh, actively using LinkedIn. Uh, so your decision makers are most definitely on LinkedIn. Um, I think in terms of social media platforms, or online platforms, that should be an area that you should be focusing a lot of your time on if you want to you know, market your courses to uh, the segment of the market. Makes total sense. Um, one of the questions I had for you, Herbert, was... Mm. Uh, they don't just hang out on LinkedIn as well. So what are sure. some of the other places that they might be and where might you find them? Right. I mean, there are also uh, professional development, training and development conferences and events. Uh, you know, it's, it's different for every market, for every country. So you want to look out for that and try and attend them as a service provider. Uh, companies are always looking out for um you know, new and improved ways of servicing their employees to get uh, better rep- employee retention or satisfaction or to increase the skills of their employees. So you definitely want to be present where uh, these HR managers are congregating, um, of course, through through networking, through your um, kind of local organizations, kind of getting the word out there through traditional means as well um, that might be uh newspapers and brochures, uh, but as well, Google, um, of course, because if uh, an HR manager is looking for a very specific course, let's say for their legal department, and they type in uh, 
legal English um, courses, then yeah, if if you uh, spend enough time uh, improving your SEO and your website content, or if you run Google Ads, then you will also pop up into their search results. Yeah. So being able to hang out where they are is, is a is a key factor, and I think we've given some hopefully some good ideas of okay, where might that be? So then. What can we do to signal that we're the company for them? How can we signal to them that we're the one that's going to deliver the best language course or service for their needs? Right. I mean, should we maybe take LinkedIn as an example? Um, yeah. Since you know this is a, a great platform and a free way, basically, to to connect with those decision makers. I mean, LinkedIn also has uh, paid ads, but I would recommend at the start to do it organically. Mm-hmm. And to really do that is to optimize your LinkedIn profile, your personal LinkedIn profile, to make it uh, sort of like a landing page, like kind of, uh, an in-between between, <laughs> uh, between your real website um, and kind of that a business card. So you want to have an... Uh, uh, a clear and friendly profile photo, have a banner that clearly defines what you do and what you offer. And your about page or your description or summary should also be about your customers' pain points, their needs, and how your company, your school offers a solution to them. Usually, a lot of people write in that little blurb everything about their university life and what they've accomplished, blah, blah, blah. No one's interested in that. Um, They want to know how you can help them. That's totally right. I mean, one thing that I think is an easy trap for people to fall into is, to be fair, that's what LinkedIn encourages you to do, which is to treat it like a CV of your Mm -hmm. life. Uh, yeah. But actually, if you're using it from a business perspective and you want to see a long-term future, and to be fair, if you're doing B2B, this has to be, this is a long-term journey for, sh- for sure as part of, where, in terms of where the organization is going. But yeah, you need to change from being, this is my CV to being, this is, this is the experience that rele- that is relevant to you looking at my, my profile and going, hey, am I the right kind of fit for, for, for the needs of, of the, of the organization? And you want that to be a, exactly. A massive like, absolutely yes, this person would totally get me. Look at all these interesting things that they're doing. Look at all of this fantastic glimpses of their information. I haven't had to go to their website at all. It's all on their mm-hmm. LinkedIn page. Like You could put articles that really articulate the way that you deliver your education. All of those things, you know, um, posts, it all gives a massive quick indicator of, yep, are you the right person for me and my business? So... I think it's a massive tip, by the way. Absolutely. And especially in this uh, segment of the market, you really need to build trust uh, mm. as quickly as possible. And yeah. by posting uh, often, regularly, about topics that are related to mm-hmm. these decision makers' um, employees, the, the, maybe the, the problems that they have in, term, in terms of acquiring a language or how that affects productivity at the company Whatever that is, you should be writing about that and making yourself basically the authority figure or expert in the B2B space. One other way I kind of think about it, Herbert, is just as when you meet somebody in person, 
we tend to do it um, unconsciously, but then you know, as you become more kind of uh, you know practiced in sales and marketing, you may want to do it a bit more consciously. But we start. What do you do? You kind of copying is not the right word, but you're kind of echoing each other. You're kind of trying to get on the same wavelength. You know, we even use those terms like trying to get on the same wavelength. Exactly. And how do we do that? We we start talking about things that we're both interested in. We start talking in the same language. For example, Herbert, if you were very formal, I would try and match that formality. Or you might notice my informality and change yours. But eventually we'd find an equilibrium. And everyone's looking for that in an in-person experience. And it's the same online. Your LinkedIn should help you get on the same wavelength with the viewer as fast as possible. So are you using the same lingo that they're using? So um, do you say, you know, human resources manager, or you just say HR managers, simple clues like that, give like a cookie, cookie, like a cookie crumb <laughs> yeah. uh, between you and them that allows you to feel that, that sense of trust and that the whole point is, is right. If you're, if they're looking at your profile, it's like, yep, yeah, this is a profile I should be on. It's not like, ah, oh, damn, caught out again. Another thing that's completely <laughs> irrelevant to me. Um, exactly. And that seems a good segue to go on to the next part, Herbert. So how do you use LinkedIn, not just as a hopefully they'll come and find uh, and find me, but how right. do we use that to reach out to people? Exactly. I mean, you can uh, use, use LinkedIn very effectively to reach out to these decision makers um, simply by searching for them. Uh, you know, searching HR managers in your city or in your area and identifying, you know, the companies that you'd like to target, whether that be small uh, to medium-sized biz- businesses or larger corporations. Uh, we'll talk more about uh, the differences between those a bit later. And then connecting with them. And what I mean by connecting is not sending them uh, uh, a message or an email saying, oh, we are ABC language school. Uh, we offer this and this and this. Would you like to buy our language courses? No. Um, you need to build an authentic relationship by connecting with them and uh, yeah, building rapport. That's totally right because on that link, like if you just use LinkedIn as a way of just literally interrupting them, which is you wouldn't do that at somebody that was sitting across from you on the table. You wouldn't just suddenly mm. interrupt and say, hey, here's my business card. This is what I do. See ya. You would, you would hopefully go over to that person and say, hey, there's obviously something here that's really interesting for us to talk about. It might not be the right time now, but there will be a time where, where we should connect. And then the second thing is when you're using LinkedIn mess, like messages, like in-mails, I have... I've personally found them dubiously effective. Um, I, I think unless there's something really present there, I haven't found them that useful. But connections mm. is absolutely the starting point because it gives absolutely. you ongoing visibility to them and them getting ongoing visibility to you. And so even when you're not directly talking to them, you're building that trust and that connection so that when you do send that eventual message yeah. in LinkedIn saying, and it might be, it may be even as, as direct as you would have done it uh, before, there's now trust, you're no longer such a stranger, and there's yeah. an ability to even consider what you might be offering. Um, but you've got some great tips here on like how, so we've, we've searched, we've now found a whole bunch of, uh, of mm-hmm. different clientele. 
Um, I don't think we mentioned it specifically, but there are like, paid paid features in LinkedIn, including Sales Navigator, where you pay for it. I actually think it's quite well worth it, um, particularly if this is the space you want to operate in. Yeah, it's um, good investment. Totally, because then you can really see, target the, the kinds of customers that you want to. You then reach out to them with a connection message. Now, this is where you've got some great tips for us. What does that connection message look like, and then what happens afterwards, Herbert? Right. I mean, the the connection message needs to be very non-threatening. You know, just a hi. You know, I saw that you were, you know, in the city that you're both in, or oh, you're also in this space. You're also uh, working here. Um, I hear great things about the company. It'd be great to connect. You know, you're not asking for anything. You're not pushing anything. You just want to connect. And then once they accept your connection request, then it's time to engage in conversation with them. Uh, usually asking a question is a very good way to spark up a conversation. Uh, oh, you know, I saw that, you know, ABC company is doing this, is in this industry. I was wondering, um, are your employees uh, faced with any challenges when speaking in English, German, Spanish, whatever that is? And so it's still non-threatening, but you are qualifying them and get extracting some information from them so you can continue that conversation. Do you have any yeah, good examples of kind of hook questions that um, are both effective and authentic? Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so do you, uh, do, you, do you have any examples of that, Herb? Oh, uh, right. Uh, so I'm trying to think of some other uh, examples. I mean, usually it would have to be about the, you know, the training um, mm-hmm. of their employees, what kind of pain points their employees have in terms of productivity or are they struggling with something you know, again, we're not trying to sell in the first message. Yeah. We're extracting information that will allow us to, you know, in further messages, offer them something that they would be interested in. Hey, you know, one question that I have used before, and I think mm-hmm. it could be relevant too, is, is also with those events and those conferences. It's just a simple one like, hey, are you going to this conference? Um, yeah. It'd be great to meet. Yeah. Uh, because it gives you a, a venue. A- and the great thing about it is this. They're either going to it, fantastic, in which case maybe you can, can meet in person or and online. Or if they're not, they might even tell you as well, oh, no, I'm not going. Brilliant. Finally, you've got like a two-way dialogue and then you can mm. continue that conversation. It's just one one example of like, how can you create curiosity and some kind of interchange between you? Mm. Uh, one of the things I, so we've kind of talked about this idea of connect and then sort of a, a hook message. And then, Herbert, tell us about what happens next. Let's assume that we get crickets. Not, nothing happens. We, we send that first uh, hook message. What's your next sort of advice on either timing or messages that sort of happen beyond that? Right. I mean, just because they don't respond to the first message doesn't mean you've lost them. Uh, You should definitely follow up. Uh, Be persistent, but don't be spammy or annoying. Um, You know, space out your messages. People are busy. You know, they might might not have even got your first message. 
So, uh, you know, it spaced your messages out over a few, several weeks. Um, again, uh, making them hyper personalized, yeah. looking through their profile, making sure you're point, you know, pointing to things that are in their profile, uh, commonalities. Um, yeah, you just want to make them super personalized and non-threatening. I really love that point. One of the, the, the kind of essence of this as well is that this is, when, when you're talking B2B, you are really at that stage of talking almost this idea of account-based marketing. Mm. So that means that you have a bunch of targeted accounts that you're looking for, and you almost have a strategy for each one of those, or at least a process. And yeah. so that might look, that, so there'll be a high-level kind of strategy, which might be, these are the things that I'm posting. It's about showing I'm on the same wavelength. It's about showing that I'm, I'm present in their markets and, and that I'm engaged. And it could include content that's just relevant to them in general. So not necessarily to language learning, but actually to, uh, to the particular industry that, that those, to those accounts are in. Um, and, and then the kind of next level down is, uh, particularly on their kind of same role. And same industry, and then the next tier down in terms of that even more personal is I'm looking at their profile, I'm seeing what they're posting, and I'm engaging right back with them because they might also be posting, which is a great way for you to kind of uh, you know hit the tennis ball back and say, hey, I'm here too. A simple like Absolutely. and a comment can be all the difference between very effective, uh, very yeah. very effective, and it could just be echoing what they're saying, not being kind of schmarmy or kind of you know, un- you know, unrealistic or yeah, spammy. Authentic, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. salesy. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, but in a way that is like I'm, I'm, I'm also here and I'm listening to you too, and, yeah. and that gives that sense of reciprocity. Uh, but then you really need to have the, the kind of next part, which I mean, this, this sort of then moves from like marketing, which is kind of how you how people know about you, and then the sales process, which is how do people actually go from knowing of you and knowing about you to going down a process which might lead to you um, or the, the company that you work for delivering that um, experience. So account-based marketing, that means you need to know what market you're going for, which means not every business. Uh, same way that we sort of hear that, you know, who's your target market in B2C? Oh, everyone. Same problem if you go B2B. Oh, who's your, who's your target market in, in the B2B space? Oh, every business. All companies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you haven't heard our episode on how to choose a niche, definitely listen to it. And it's just as relevant for the B2B Absolutely. space. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, how would you, before we go on to our next section, which is going to look on how B2B impacts the sales process and the delivery process, um, what are the different ways you can kind of break down that B2B space? In your view, Herbert? Right. Um, obviously, by geography. Uh, yep. So focus on, on businesses in your uh, region or city. Uh, you could also focus on businesses that you have uh, or industries that you have an affinity to. For yep. example, if, I don't know, you have a lot of um, lawyer or ex-lawyers on your team or if you were uh, a sales manager in a previous life, then, hey, you know, might make sense to yeah. uh, focus on sales teams at companies or, you know, sales-based companies. Um, you know, the the limits are endless, um, so the options yeah. are endless. 
uh, yeah, you really want to niche down yeah, even so ge- in B2B. That's right. So geography is kind of one major segment. And we sort of talked about this on our previous conversation about niches. If our geography goes up in terms of we're very broad with our geography, mm. then our specialty needs to, to, to narrow. We need exactly. to get much, much clearer. And it just opens up all these wonderful opportunities. If you're that sales manager, then it actually, sorry, that ex-sales manager teaching language training, then also you've got these wonderful opportunities to maybe partner with those that are doing sales training, actually on yeah. sales. And maybe you could literally just piggyback on every one of those trainings has like a language segment for those customers. Uh, because maybe that salesperson, they're very, you know, that, that sales training manager is very good at getting into these companies and then you just piggyback on those and then you're a known entity and yeah. no longer this unknown. So some, some really great opportunities. So um, with that in mind, let's talk about what that sales process looks like when you're focused on B2B and how it impacts the way we market. But, you know, marketing and sales can, can work very closely in this B2B market. So tell me about that, Herbert. Right. I mean, it's it's a different beast, uh, you know, B2B than B2C. You know, the, the lead times, the sales cycles in B2B, are long. <laughs> they can be anywhere from a month, two months to years, you know, yeah. um, from first contact to that customer actually starting a course. So you've got to keep that in mind. If you're looking for a quick win, then it's probably not on it. But um, yeah, uh, that affects uh, a lot of things as well. That's right. So we've got sales cycle is going to be much longer. And so you mm-hmm. need to have different expectations about you know, how long things are going to take and marketing spend. You're going to need to think about budgets, of course. Obviously, big, big companies may not actually have a bigger budget necessarily mm. per, per, per employee as such, but very different the way that you're going to have to approach that person. Um, but there's some key things that are really important to remember is that your image and brand is going to have to echo fairly closely to the organization that you're wanting to go for. So if, you're, if your brand is like super casual and actually has lots of kids and it's very family oriented, even though it's sort of beat a bit, you know, it's not going to gel with somebody that's mm. like highly corporate. You know, you might need to go for the small, the medium sized business rather than those large businesses. Yeah. And actually the size of the business can have one of the biggest impacts on the B2B sale and delivery process because it massively magnifies a number of areas. One is your lead time. Two is the level of security and compliance. And three is probably also reporting. Uh, and there may be some other areas there. I'm just wondering if you've got anything else. So we've got lead time, security, which also could mean firewalls is going to be a much bigger thing typically with a larger organization. Um, yeah. well, did you have any anything else in mind, Herbert? Yeah, no, I mean, Obviously, communication yeah. and structure, you know, these larger companies assume that you have, you know, uh, a CRM and like an LMS and et cetera, et cetera. So um, the, the bigger you go, the more developed your systems need to be. So it might be, you know, in the first instance, if you're starting, uh, good to target small to medium sized businesses that can make a quick decision. And then at least you can get started and then grow from there. Yeah, I think that's a really important tip is to know which part of the market you're going for, what size of company, what are the what are the buyers. So again, the smaller you go, 
the more likely you're going to be needing the decision makers likely to be the CEO or the general manager. Mm-hmm. They may not even have an HR manager at all. Exactly. It's only once you get to a certain scale that you're talking to an HR manager. So all of these things should fit into your marketing matrix and all your messaging, all your branding, everything needs to kind of hit that <laughs> that home run each time. Um, any last comment for the, the listeners here today, Herb, before we finish up? I mean, I I love the B two B segment, so um, I'm I'm all for it because I think once you've established these relationships, you've nurtured them, and you've you know signed on a few uh, clients, then those relationships can last for years and you know, turn over a lot more than just one single student. So uh, there is a big time investment involved, but it pays off in the long run. Yeah, and on my side, my big tip would just be to to really focus on whatever your niche is because it means that it's much, much stronger and easier for other target customers to see why they would totally make sense to be working with you as well. If you've got a real pick and mix of different organizations with all sorts of different reasons to work with you, it makes it much harder for somebody to, to go, oh, yeah, I can see the dots there. So thank you all for listening uh, listening in here. Herbert and I always actually love these conversations, so thanks very much for making this uh, a success, and also um, we have a bit of fun doing it at the same time. Please subscribe to the podcast. So this is the Get More Students podcast. Tell other people about it because we would love this to be um, you know, bigger than just a podcast, but maybe also a community that that gathers momentum. So hit that subscribe button so that you hear an episode from us each week and we'll have a lot more for you next time. Thanks again. All right. See you again.